Welcome to Off the Wall, a podcast aimed at helping you answer the questions, what is the point of my wealth, and what steps can I take to make that vision a reality? Your host, David Armstrong, co-founder of Monument Wealth Management, and Jessica Gibbs, director of private wealth design at Monument, will tap into their over 25 years of combined experience in wealth management to help you answer these challenging but important questions. Interested in learning more? Connect with us on Instagram, at Monument Wealth, and follow along at MonumentWealthManagement.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave and Jessica. Jessica, great to see you again. See you in my air quotes that nobody can see because this is a podcast, but you and I can see each other when we're talking, so nice to see you. Yeah. To everyone else, welcome back. Jessica and I were just talking about how much fun we've been having with these podcasts, and I said, geez, I'm having so much fun, I could do these every single day, and Jessica tempered my enthusiasm way back, but... (laughs) Jessica and I are having a good time. And so today our guest is me, Jessica and Jessica. (laughs) So I'm talking about a subject that is one that I just personally love talking about with clients. I mean, as a little bit of background in a past life, I used to work in philanthropy. So talking about charitable giving with our clients is something that I always enjoy. And obviously, you know, we're recording this November 1st. Year end is the traditional charitable giving season. So obviously, this may may be a good time where some people, listeners are are thinking about their charitable giving, and hopefully this will be helpful. Yeah, and we're also kind of getting ahead of the curve, too, because November is traditionally when all these questions start popping up. So it's a timely topic and one that we're talking about offline as well. Before we get going into the podcast, though, Jessica and I have a personal favor to ask everybody. Wherever you're coming across this podcast, if you could just help us share it, we are, we're posting it on LinkedIn, we're posting it on Instagram, I think, and Facebook, and then we're sending it out on some emails and stuff like that. But if you're listening to it and you like it, it's a huge help if you just help share it on your social media, just, hey, check this out, anything like that. It's remarkable how much traction we've gotten by people sharing the podcast, and we just like to keep that up. And then if you have a second, just leave it a review on on Apple, iTunes, or whatever player you're listening to it on. It's all that's really helpful, just gaining some exposure and getting people to check it out. So just a personal favor from Jessica and I, but we'll go ahead and get going with the episode here. So Jessica, why don't you just kind of start us off here? Yeah, I think it's interesting context. I, you know, I was doing some research, you know, I think all of us know Americans are very charitably inclined. And I was looking up a study by Indiana University's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. It's their Giving USA 2021 study. And Americans gave a record amount to charity in 2020. Americans gave $471 billion to charity. So obviously, this is something where a lot of people have it on their mind. And, you know, we'll get into taxes and planning. You know, that's always a topic that comes up when people talk about charitable giving. But I always like to start with what are your charitable goals? I think if you're focused on saving on taxes, if that's your primary motivation when you're giving to charity, in my opinion, you are approaching this all wrong. Your primary purpose should be giving to charity. That doesn't matter if you're doing annual gifts or you're contributing money to a charitable giving vehicle. That's what charitable giving is about. It should be about supporting a cause that you care about. It shouldn't be about saving on taxes. So I'd encourage everyone to think about first, you know, what are your charitable intentions? And for some people, that's a really easy question to answer. But for other people, that can actually be really challenging. You know, maybe in the past you have kind of gave to different organizations of different themes because someone asked you, hey, I'm 
do you mind donating to this or supporting this cause? And you kind of said, sure, but you didn't really understand kind of what is my larger motivation for my charitable giving. So if you're having trouble with that question, you can ask yourself, you know, questions like what organizations have touched my life or the life of someone close to me? What issues or changes have I observed in my own community? Are there topics in the news that I can't stop reading about? Or another one that I really like is, is there an opportunity that your family has had that you wish everyone had to? Those are some questions that in answering those maybe can help clarify what your charitable intentions are. And then that, again, that's the baseline that you should be thinking about all of your charitable giving from. Right. And I know we're going to talk about this, but it's also okay if you don't know exactly what charitable organizations you want to give to, but you know you want to give to charity, we are going to, I know we're going to get to that, but you don't have to know that answer first. And, you know, you mentioned before about the topics coming up in the news you can't stop reading about. I mean, one of the things that just popped up in my life was the Afghan evacuation and and all of the interpreters and people that helped out my brothers and sisters in arms over in the, the last 20 years in Afghanistan and bringing them here to the United States, I mean, all of a sudden that just popped up out of the blue. And I was like, that's important to me. I want to start giving to it. And so it can also be things that you aren't thinking about right now, but just come up later. And those are, those are examples. And, and I know you said it shouldn't come from a place of taxes and defining your charitable goals is obviously the right place to start. Right. But let's talk about taxes. Cause I do think that's a, an important component of it. Right. I mean, in particular, right now under current tax law, which obviously is potentially going to be changing, but the $10,000 cap on state and local income taxes and property taxes and such in particular, that has meant that charitable giving has become one of the most powerful deductions that you have to lower your income taxes. And we don't really see any changes coming to these charitable deduction provisions in any of these tax proposals that are floating around. So that's obviously why people talk about you know taxes when it comes to charitable giving, because it's so powerful for your personal income taxes. With anything in taxes, we can really only deal with what we know. So some of the things that we know right now is that the CARES Act actually continued for 2021 the $300 above the line deduction for people who don't itemize their taxes. So what does that mean? That means that if you are an individual, even if you don't itemize, because the standard deduction is so high these days, you can still give $300 to charity and have that deducted off of your income. And actually, if you file jointly, you're married filing jointly, that actually is $600. So I see that as a very easy win that regardless of the amount of charitable giving you are doing, even if you're just doing small giving, this is really a year to to maximize those limits so that you're helping offset income and lower your taxes. Obviously a good thing. Another change that was made as part of the CARES Act for 2021 is that the limit on how much you can deduct if you're donating cash to a public charity is actually 100% of your adjusted gross income. So what does that mean? The normal IRS rules are you can, if you're giving cash to a public charity, you know, Red Cross or, you know, whatever, a big charity, you can deduct up to 60% of your adjusted gross income. So you'll still have some taxes to pay. In 2021, that's 100%. So you may be listening to this and thinking, ooh, I can, you know, donate 100% of my adjusted gross income to charity and I won't have to pay any taxes this year. 
Well, unfortunately, it doesn't eliminate the 3.8% net investment income tax, so you would still have some tax bill. But this is kind of a, a heightened change this year that if you are thinking about, okay, I want to make a really extraordinary gift to the charity this year, this is definitely a year to consider doing that. Obviously, talk to your accountant about your personal giving and tax situation. But I think the point I, I should trying to make is that get away from checkbook giving. And do some planning so that you can make the most of your tax deduction. Yeah. And the checkbook giving, I really like that term because it's, it's sort of like the nickels and dimes, the things you don't really think about, the cash you put into the Salvation Army, things like that. It doesn't mean that you can't do those things. It just means that you can be much more organized about it. Because I think there's probably in everybody's real life, there's a lot of leakage, right? There's a lot of charitable giving that takes place that you kind of lose track of. And there are some better ways if you're planning for that to exactly know how much you're going to be giving and then keeping track of it and really reducing the amount of leakage there. Before we just get going, you used a term I just want to make sure that we explain to everybody because we use it very often, but it's the above the line deduction. And really what we're saying there is, I'll just make a big example. Let's just say you make $1,000 and you make a $300 charitable donation. You're going to subtract that $300 from the $1,000 you made in income and then you're going to calculate your taxes that you owe based on the $700 remaining. That's what when we say above the line means. It means that you're subtracting that money above your adjusted gross income. It's coming right off the top. And the government, essentially, I'm using my air quotes, doesn't even see it. Correct. And this is an exceptional year. Normally, this isn't allowed to happen. So thank you for, for catching me in my jargon. I mean, the line is, if you literally think about your Form 1040, right? It's two pages. You know, there's all the schedules and supplements. But, you know, the 1040 itself is two pages. At the bottom of the first pages is your adjusted gross income. That is considered the line. So, you know, usually it's you're then onto page two where you see either your standard deduction or your itemized deduction. And this is where if you are itemizing, that's where normally your, your CPA will put your charitable deductions as part of your list of different itemized deductions. So if you are a standard deduction person, because you don't have, maybe you don't own property or, you know, for various reasons, you're not crossing that threshold. Good for you for doing the charitable giving. And it is, again, supporting your charitable goals and, and your personal intentions, but you're not necessarily getting a tax impact because the standard deduction amount is so high right now. So that's where 2021 it's just a unique opportunity. So consider giving, if you're single, $300, or if you're married, filing jointly, $600 to at least get that, even if you aren't itemizing. Okay, so so let's talk about some actual planning opportunities that listeners can actually consider doing. Right. So, you know, the first thing I was thinking about talking about was what tax bracket are you in? But this all kind of got blown up at the end of last week. Again, we're recording this November 1st, and, and there had been talk about changes to the ordinary income tax rates for individuals who make more than 400000 or couples who make more than 450000 changing that top tax bracket amount, and also talk about changes to what the long-term capital gains rate would be, moving the top rate from 20% to 25%. These are, are now, you know, nothing is final. You know, we don't know what will end up in the final congressional bill surrounding this social spending infrastructure plan. But at least for now, those proposals, those changes to the top tax bracket and changes to the capital gains rate, they kind of look like they're off the table. If you are concerned about it and you want to hedge your bets and you thinking, okay, I might be in that top tax bracket that they were talking about. 
this is where you want to look at, okay, maybe we do hold off charitable giving until January because, you know, if you think tax rates might go up for you, that charitable deduction is going to make more sense. Those itemized deductions are going to be more valuable as your tax rate increases. So that's something to consider. But I think about, at least when when it comes about the long-term capital gains rate change, okay, potentially the top tax rate might not move from 25% to 20%. But I think a lot of people tend to think of, okay, I'm giving to charity, I give cash. And cash can sometimes be the worst asset that you can give, particularly if you have stock that has really high embedded gains. Because think about it, what you would be doing is you would be selling the stock, you'd be paying the 20% capital gains tax, and then you'd be donating that cash. Versus you have the opportunity, in a lot of cases, to donate that stock directly to the charity of your choice. This is a way where basically in donating it to a 501c3 nonprofit organization, they're a tax-free entity, so they can sell it. They don't pay any taxes, and you're able to get a charitable deduction equal to the amount of the stock that you transferred without having to pay any taxes on that gain that you accumulated over time. It's a wonderful And tool. that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. And I'll just make a quick example so people listening can kind of follow the math, but Let's just say you take $50,000 of cash and you put it into some stock and it grows to $100,000. So your $50,000 is now worth $100,000. And then your charitable organization that you're interested in giving money to, you say, you know what? I'm going to give you $100,000. Well, you're going to give them $100,000, but it's only going to cost you 50 because the growth goes in there. It gets transferred to the charitable organization. They get to sell that security that's worth $100,000. They're not paying taxes on it. And you're not paying taxes on it. Whereas if you said, okay, I'm gonna, I have $100,000 of this stock. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to pay, I'm just going to make up a number 25% capital gains tax on it just for rough math. You're only going to have $75,000 left over to give them. So you just transfer the stock. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah. And even if you're listening to this and thinking, well, I mean, I do have cash on hand that I could donate. I mean, consider donating the appreciated stock and using that cash that you have to purchase new stocks or rebalance, you know, increase your basis, which is going to lower any sort of future capital gains taxes that you might have on those positions. So, you know, even if you've been an investor for a long time and you have positions that you've held for a long time that have embedded gains, this is a great solution. I also think about this a lot in terms of executives that have stock incentives or restricted stock units, have a very concentrated position and are often in a highest tax bracket. You know, this could be a great solution because normally we like to talk to our clients who have concentrated stock positions anyway about diversifying out of that position once it, you know, reaches a certain percentage of their portfolio in order to avoid that concentration risk of that single stock falling. So so this could be, again, it's a way of saving on those taxes by donating. So check with the organization first to make sure that they can accept stock donations and that they have the mechanisms to sell it upon receipt. This may be a challenge if you are interested in donating to a smaller organization, but most large nonprofits, they have an investment office that would be able to to help them handle this. And I think this is why it's so important, going back to your initial point, which is you don't make your decision to give money to charity because of taxes. You make a decision to give money to charity, and then you consider the tax implication of it, because that's what drives you to say, I want to give money to charity. I want to give this much. Now what's the most tax efficient way to do it? 
And that's why it's important to back into it rather than just say, I don't want to pay taxes on this. I'm going to donate it to charity. Right. So let's just say, you know, hypothetically, your charitable goals are in mind, but not necessarily a specific charitable organization. You're still vetting opportunities. Or let's just say, you know, you have a really big income year or you really want you like that idea of reallocating out of stock positions that have big embedded gains and you want to do a, a larger transfer this year. But you don't necessarily want to give it all to your organization of choice in this tax year. You'd rather kind of spread it out over time. How can you do that? And one of the charitable giving vehicles that we love the most as a solution for those types of questions is called a donor advised fund or a DAF as I, you know, acronym like to call it. So a donor advised fund is essentially, it's set up at a 501c3 nonprofit. So the act of giving to a donor advised fund is the act of giving to charity. That means in terms of, you know, your tax deduction, what we were talking about is you get that tax deduction in the year that you make a transfer to the donor advised fund. So if you want to give a million dollars to your donor advised fund, you get a million dollars charitable deduction this year. It's an irrevocable transfer. So it's money that once you consider putting into that fund, you consider it's it's never coming back. But the biggest benefit is that you can have the flexibility to distribute that money to the charities of your choice as you see fit. You don't have to distribute a certain percentage each year like you do with other charitable givings. You don't have to file a tax return. The administration and setup is really low compared to other options. And, you know, one thing that we've seen be really successful at Monument is you can actually invest in a donor advice fund. So clients can, you know, develop an asset allocation within their donor advice fund that just like their personal investment portfolio, it's matched to their charitable goals. I want to have a certain percentage in cash because it's going to fund my giving for the next year. I want to be invested in dividend-oriented stock because I do annual gifting and I want some dividend income that's going to help support those annual gifts. I'm going to take this money and I'm going to invest it for long-term growth because in 10 years, I want to make a truly transformational gift to the organization of my choice. I want to fund a chair at my college or, or something like that. You have that ability to do that within a donor advised fund. And again, because it is a nonprofit, it's a, you know, it's a charitable entity. You don't have capital gains taxes or taxes on that income that you're generating. And also kind of similar to what we were talking about before, if you donate it with appreciated securities, you can sell them within the donor advised fund and there isn't a taxable event. So it's a really good tool that we've seen a lot of success with. So let me ask you a question in the context of an example. So let's just say that I've earmarked $110,000 that I would like to put into a donor advised fund with my charitable giving plan of, I want to give charity, I want to give $10,000 a year for the next 10 years to charity. And so I put the $110,000 in and say immediately, I want to give, or within the next couple of months, give $10,000 away for this calendar year. And then that leaves me with $100,000. It can be invested in a number of different investment strategies, whatever is important to you or you, whatever your advisor team or planning team comes up with as, a, as an investment strategy. And let's just say that, that remaining $100,000 grows by 10%. Now, at the end of the calendar year, the account balance of the donor advised fund is $110,000 because it grew by 10%. 
and you're going to give away another $10,000, you essentially just gave yourself another free year of giving money to charity because the, the assets grew and you didn't pay any taxes on it because it was invested. But you get to write, just clarify this for listeners, you get to write off the $110,000 initial gift in the calendar year that you gave it, not the $10,000. You're getting the whole $110,000 to write off on your tax return, even though you haven't given any of it away to a specific charity yet. And you can decide that every single year for the next 10 years. The flip side of that is when you make those distributions to charities over the next 10 years, you're not getting a charitable deduction for that because, again, you took it up front. But that's where this comes back to planning, tax planning, is that getting that deduction up front actually may be more beneficial for you and your personal tax situation than it is if you were to transfer you know, $10,000 every year to the charity of your choice. If somebody was selling a business, making up very simple numbers, somebody was selling a business, they sold it for a million dollars, and they say, well, we give away $10,000 a year to charity anyway. You could take $100,000 of the sale proceeds, put it into a donor advised fund, now you're only paying capital gains tax on $900,000 of the sale of your business in that calendar year. You get to take the $100,000 deduction that year that you sell the business and then still give with $10,000 a year for the next 10 years, doing exactly what you were doing anyway, but you get that benefit of writing it off against the sale of a business. 100%. Or let's just say also you're kind of floating around the standard deduction line. You know, you're right under the standard deduction line most years based on, on your annual giving. What if you took what your annual giving is going to be for the next five years and you put it into a donor advised fund, you're all of a sudden, at least in that first year, you're putting yourself way above the standard deduction line and you're maximizing that itemized deduction. So I like that. But as you said, you know, we talk about this a lot with business owners who are selling or any sort of big income event that people are having. And if you are charitably inclined, offset that income when you're going to have the biggest tax event. I also like to think about this in terms of pre-funding charitable giving for retirement. I think it's easier to give assets away when you're in that income accumulation phase of life versus in a spending phase of life. So you could think about in terms of, okay, I'm a high income earner in the top tax bracket. I need all the deductions I can get because they're really valuable to me right now. Probably my tax bracket is going to be lower when I'm in retirement. Let's make those charitable deductions now by contributing to a donor advised fund help lower the taxes. And then when I'm later in retirement, you know, I've invested the money, it's grown, I can use that pool to distribute to my favorite charities. Also, you know, thinking about this planning for your state size. I mean, if you have a very large estate, putting money in a donor advised fund is getting that money out of your estate. And so doing that sooner rather than later can, can be really valuable. And you want that growth to be out of your estate. So there's a lot of different ways, depending on your personal situation, that you can look at a donor advised fund and see if it makes sense for you. There are some instances where you cannot use a donor advised fund for something like charity because some people could think like, well, great, I'm going to buy a $10,000 foursome in the charity golf tournament coming up and I'm going to use my donor advised fund for that. That's not something you can use a donor advised fund for. Like, I think the terminology is you can't be receiving services or not services Goods back. Or services. You can't be getting anything mm -hmm. back from, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. So if you ever, you know, you donate to charity and you get a charitable gift receipt, you'll notice probably at the bottom it'll say 
100% of this is deductible. No goods or services were received in exchange for this gift. You know, that's how the IRS says, okay, you didn't get tickets or, you know, got, you know, something to an event or the football tickets or whatever they are. You didn't get something in exchange for your charitable gift. And if that were the case, only a portion of your charitable gift would be tax deductible. Right. And a lot of times the receipt that you get from the charity will break that out, correct? Right. It should. Yeah. Like if you bought a $10,000 table and the meal was determined to be $1,000, you would only get to write off $9,000 of that table that you bought or something like that because there's $1,000 worth of dinner that you ate. Correct. So this is where, where if you're concerned, you can talk to the charitable organization and ask them if there's a portion that would not be tax deductible. But one question that I often get asked is, why a donor advised fund versus a private foundation? I think people tend to hear, oh, there's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or, you know, like there's these big foundations. You know, why should I consider a donor advised fund instead of a foundation? And so a private foundation can make sense if you want to operate as a charitable organization and potentially employ staff You want to actively manage a grant-making process. You want to sponsor charitable events. Truth be told, most people do not want to do that. So that's where, and they don't need to do that either. So that's where, you know, if those things sound like you, private foundations are absolutely worth exploring. But I think for the majority of people that we've seen that want to, you know, balance long-term giving and taxes, the donor advised fund to us is an easy one that makes sense. Way easier. And also, I mean, you can think about in terms of continuity for what happens to a donor advice fund, you know, when you as the donor pass away, you know, you can name successors to a donor advice fund. Those can be people in your family. You can name a charity as the successor or, or you could do a combination of both. So, so there is an element of being able to leave a charitable legacy with a donor advice fund that we've also seen be successful. So another charitable planning opportunity that I also think is out there. I mean, people talk about it, but I don't think it's the first thing that comes to people's mind. And that is called a qualified charitable deduction or a QCD. So this is for people who are 70 and a half or older. You know, this is where you can actually give money directly from your retirement account to charity. So normally you take money out from your retirement account because it's been tax deferred, you're going to pay ordinary income tax on that money. Then you could give it to charity. Yes, you could get a charitable deduction, but this is where you could just bypass that entirely and you can give up to $100,000 a year from your IRA directly to a public charity. And if you're a couple, that could be actually $200,000. It's not $200,000 total. It's $100,000 per spouse's IRA. But This distribution, it can count towards your required minimum distribution or your RMD. So if you're someone who has saved tremendously and you have a massive RMD that's more than you actually need to live on, you can make a distribution directly from your IRA to the charity of your choice, and that satisfies your RMD requirement for the year, potentially. Biggest kind of kicker to know is that you cannot do a QCD transfer to a donor advice fund or a private foundation. So this is where, again, it comes back to what are your charitable goals and what are you wanting to support in the organizations of your choice. But I did want to throw it out there as a a really interesting planning opportunity that I just think gets overlooked by a lot of retirees. 
Yeah, I think the part where we see it really get used is the RMD. That's a popular one, and it's just worth coloring in there a little bit because sometimes when people get to 70 and a half and they have to take that, and the RMD is exactly what it sounds like. It's a required minimum distribution from your IRA that the government makes you take. And so some people say, well, I don't need it, so why do I have to take it? You say, okay, well, great, you can take it and then give it to charity, and then you don't have to pay any tax on it. So it's another way to give money away. You have to take it out of the IRA. The government's going to make you take it, so you can just use it. If you don't need it, you can use it as a charitable deduction. It is a pretty popular way that we see people do that. Yeah. So those were a lot of shorter-term or or medium-term planning opportunities for charitable giving. Let's go even further out. Let's go really long-term. We love the long-term at Monument. Yes, yes, we do. Love the (laughs) long-term. So – I think, you know, if you're listening to this and and you're thinking about your estate plan, I think as you expand your estate plan over time, you know, as your wealth grows, your heirs grow, you know, your estate plan is going to evolve over time. I've seen, you know, people as they get further, you know, into their life, charitable giving can become a bigger part of people's estate plan. As I said before, it can be a really effective tool for reducing your estate. I chuckle to think, I remember the first time I heard that the easiest estate plan is just if you potentially have an estate tax problem is, you know, I'm going to have my estate and anything that's above the federal estate tax exemption amount is going to charity and I won't owe any estate taxes. Simple as that. You know, that can be kind of extreme for some people, but it can be a tool that you can think about in terms of, okay, I think my heirs are probably, if they inherit this much money, that's fine. Let's maybe think about donating to charity as a way to, again, lower the amount of my gross estate and then subsequently lower an amount of state taxes if that's going to be an issue for you. I also like to think about this in terms of building a legacy with your favorite organization. There's an organization that you've been involved in for a really long time and they know you and you understand maybe you're part of the board or, you know, in some sort of respect, you're part of the governance of the institution So you can think about charitable giving in terms of, okay, if you were to pass away, is there a legacy that you want to leave with that institution that that speaks to your involvement with them over the years? But really, this comes back to planning. So it comes back to you sitting down with a planner and understanding how much can you afford to give away? How much can you afford to give away while still being able to accomplish all your other goals, right? Because no one wants to give so much to charity at the expense of then they don't have any money to support their lifestyle or any future medical expenses. So that's where careful planning comes into play because anytime you're making a distribution to charity, you should really be thinking about it as this is an irrevocable transfer. I cannot get this back. So I would posit to people to think about if you took action on making a large charitable gift or a large transfer to a donor advised fund, for example. And laws around estate planning or personal income taxes didn't change, you know, would you regret that decision? If the answer is no, then then that's where I would say, okay, keep going, keep exploring, keep considering this. If the answer is is yes, that you would regret that, then probably this isn't the right thing for you to be thinking about. And we like to use this saying all the time, which is money can really go only one of four places where you can spend it during your lifetime. And then after the second of a married couple dies, it can go to friends and family, it can go to charity, or it can go to the government in the form of estate taxes, maybe. And if your intention is to do it to charity, there are ways to do it while you're building a legacy during your lifetime to incorporate it into your estate planning and actually make sure that the money goes to charity, but be alive to 
receive at least some recognition for, Hey, I'm going to give this away when I die. And a lot of people do do that with life insurance and things like that too. So there's a lot of different ways to, to do it while you're alive. It doesn't necessarily have to be something when you're dead. I would posit that that's a question that listeners should think about, you know, what is important to you? Because some people would say, look, I'd rather sort of be able to, you know, make gifts to my family and, you know, enjoy that more during my lifetime. And, and I, I'll do a bigger legacy gift, you know, as part of my death, you know, maybe that's what makes sense versus, yeah, I really want to give money to the charity of my choice now because I want to help them build this building and I want to be there and I want to I want to see the fruits of what becomes of this donation that I made. So really, it depends on what what you're looking for. Yeah. And it comes back to the whole point that you're making about proper planning, because nobody wants to lose the race between dying and becoming destitute. So with some proper planning, you want to have some sort of sense of stability and knowing that you're not going to outlive your money. And if the probability of not outliving your money is very high, then you can start to plan to give money to charity or family while you're alive and see the benefits of that while you're alive rather than waiting till you're dead just because you didn't do the planning. All comes back to the planning. My favorite right. word. So as we're, as we're coming up here on the end, Jessica, what are your parting thoughts on charitable giving? So I have two. <laughs> um, couldn't pick just one. The first is don't dismiss funding for general operations. I think charitable rating agencies have become a really great tool if you're evaluating an organization to look at, okay, I'm going to look them up on a tool like Charity Navigator and see kind of what's their rating, you know, see some information about them. Is this a good charity for me to give to? You know, those are really valuable tools. But part of what those organizations are looking at is to see how much of your organizational budget are you spending on admin items. And generally, they're going to favor people who spend a lower percentage on administration because then that organization is spending more money on programs and such, you know, supporting the charitable mission. But for small organizations in particular, you know, let's think about the homeless shelter or, you know, the animal rescue these are, are places where it's a really lean staff and they need money to keep the lights on, to pay the staff that's going to execute on this charitable mission, you know, to have paper and computers and proper technology to be able to just function. So they may be organizations where if you said, oh, well, I only want to give to support this specific program, which is called in, inside baseball, it's called restricted giving. You know, they may not actually then have enough unrestricted giving or general operating money to actually be able to execute that. So so I think general operations, you know, it doesn't sound that glamorous or fun to be giving to that. But particularly for smaller organizations, it is so, so important, possibly more important than giving to a particular project because money for a particular project has to be used for that project. Let's just say that their charitable mission you know, they have to pivot real quick because some crazy event like COVID, you know, happens and they want to change. Having money in the general operations pool allows them to pivot quickly and then support, you know, the new need that's happening. So I think that's just so important. Yeah. And I, I deal with this on almost a weekly basis because as, as a lot of people know, I sit on a couple of different boards. We're always talking about the unrestricted fund, which is the fund that lets you pay for anything you need to through the donated money. And from my perspective, which is the other side of the table from the person who's donating the money, is if you believe in this organization and you believe in the leadership and the people who are running this organization and the board, everything, 
you got to trust that those people are spending the money wisely. And I have never seen ever on any board that I've either served on or any charitable organization I've gifted money to a poor spend of the unrestricted fund because they're as passionate about the organization as you are as a donor. And they, they want to give as much money out to the causes as they can. But sometimes there are needs for things to be spent, whether it's new equipment, new computers, new accounting systems. I mean, there's always the expenses. So I would highly encourage anybody listening, if you're looking at charities, to definitely do not dismiss donating to the unrestricted fund that allows them to spend money on, on admin or allows them to put money into programs. It's unrestricted, and you're just leaving it up to the leadership of the organization to determine where the money's going to go. Right. You did kind of say something important kind of tucked in with that is there are organizations that are not spending the donations they receive wisely. That absolutely does exist. I'm not going to name any of the ones that I'm familiar with, but there are definitely big ones out there. Yes. So I think the kind of tucked into what you're saying is, is if you are evaluating a charity, you really should try to get in there as far as looking at their form 990, which is the form they have to file with the IRS every year. They, you should look at annual reports, you know, what sort of actual impact, you know, or projects and, and your annual report usually includes financials in it. Like, do your homework and do your due diligence to make sure that sort of giving is is actually going to be used well. And then once you build a rapport with that organization, I think you can do what you said, Dave, where you can trust the leadership of that organization to spend the money wisely. Do your due diligence. Because you can you can look up everything on these charities. They have to report everything. Salaries, I think everything, all of it's And if there. they're not reporting, and if they're not, you know, they're, they're not <laughs> right. sharing their 990, they're not sharing their financials, they're not having an annual report. Feel like you could take that as a as a sign, so as a message. My other parting thought is that charitable giving can be a great way to ease into the conversation about family wealth transfer. I think it can be really hard for parents to talk about firm numbers in terms of how much their wealth is to talk about that with their kids, to say that I am worth X millions of dollars. That can be really kind of not a conversation that parents are interested in having. But it can be a little easier if you're talking about numbers in terms of how much money you want to give to charity this year. You know, to say, hey, we are going to donate, you know, $10,000 or $50,000 to charity this year. Or, hey, we have a donor advice fund. It's worth this much. We're going to make distributions of this much this year. That's a great way to start opening the communication lines with your kids and start talking openly with the next generation about your wealth. I think when you talk to kids about charitable giving, you're talking to them about what you value as a family. And passing down those values along with an inheritance, that's what's so important. I agree. I I love it when we see people involving their kids in just the distribution of the donor advised funds, even saying, you get to decide where X amount of our annual distribution gets to go as a family and the kids get to say, I wanted to go to this. Okay, well, you need to go research that and go and do all the things that we just talked about in your previous point and teaching kids how to do some research on things and teaching kids the value of the money and understanding what mom and dad said were really important and seeing that through actual examples and being involved rather than just being preached or listening to a podcast about it. And it all circles back to your... Your charitable intentions. 
if you said, okay, look, our main focus as a family is supporting things within our community, that is speaking to what you as a family value. And that's where when your kids eventually inherit that money, it's not just the donor advised fund or you know charitable giving money that they're going to look to that as. They're going to look to that as, okay, I inherited this money from mom and dad. I know that they valued supporting things in the community. How can I, you know, use this money that I've inherited to do something similar within my own community? So, so that's where I see that it's a charitable intent, but it's also tied to your greater family values. And again, that's what ensures that your heirs, when they inherit that money, they're not just going to blow it. They're going to know what was the story behind the wealth, how was it created, and what's the point of it? What's the purpose of it? Which is one thing on this podcast we like to talk about. Right. And coming back to the statement I made earlier that we say all the time, which is, you know, money can only go one of four places you can spend it in your lifetime. And then after you die, it can go to family and friends or charity or in certain cases, taxes. Well, this is a great way while you're alive to impart your own personal values about your wealth that you've created on your children so that someday when the time comes for it to go to friends and family or charity or taxes, and it does come to your children, they will remember how important charitable giving was to you when you were alive, and they will continue that legacy of charitable giving in their own calculus of spend it during your lifetime, then leave it to friends and family charity and maybe taxes into a different generation, into a whole second generation, or even a third generation. And we've seen examples of people that have, moms and dads have written letters to future generations about the wealth and where it came from. And those those great grandkids are still talking about where the money came from and why it was important to Nana and pop up that charity be part of it. And they create actually like family meetings, annual family meetings that brings everybody back together to talk about what charities are going to donate to. It's really nice to watch that. Well, that, that was a fascinating conversation, Jessica. Most listeners know Jessica came out of this background. She's really passionate about it and she's got a lot of knowledge about it, more knowledge than most other advisors that I've even known over 20 years in this business And so if you have any questions after you've heard this podcast and you want some answers or anything, reach out to Jessica. You don't have to be a client. Just shoot her an email with a question. She'll answer it. Yeah. Don't shoot me the question because I'm just (laughs) going to shoot the Jessica. I'm not the expert in it. I just like talking. So that's my job on this podcast. But yeah, if you have any questions and you want some answers or some clarification on anything we said, please reach out to us. This is, this is what we do and we like helping people. So absolutely. Jessica, I'll, I'll let you sign off. Yeah. Thanks everyone for joining us and tune back in. See you next episode.